we've touched on a lot of these, like just saying like, it's okay to want to have a, make a profit, right? Like this is important. This is, I mean, I would say the overarching of all of this is actually like, understand that this is a business, right? And yeah, it's great. It's farming, it's pastoral, it's all these things. But at the end of the day, it is a business, right? And that business needs certain things to be able to exist and function. Welcome to Choosing to Farm, a podcast for first and returning generation livestock farmers and ranchers to share their stories, find connection, and provide insight into the life of farmers who didn't take the traditional path. I'm your host, Jen Colby. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Choosing to Farm podcast. We've we've dropped some mini episodes. We've been um, playing along, learning how to do lots of different things on the technological side and sharing some experiences just to sort of lay the groundwork. But truly, this is the first episode um, of the formal podcast. And it's with my longtime friends, Mark and Cheryl Cesario. Um, they were my very first interview. That doesn't always mean that they would necessarily be the first one released, but it seemed like exactly the first one because they really set the stage for um, the kinds of conversations that I hope that we have through the podcast, um, both about business and about life and about the sum of the practicality of farming, but there's just a whole lot of working through stuff together. So um, Mark and Cheryl started farming together at almost exactly the same time that they became a couple and have been exploring these issues of production side, enterprise diversity, all that stuff, profitability, and also family life and how do you um, build your business and your relationship at the same time. So this was recorded in their backyard. Uh, so you might occasionally hear um, a rooster or a cow or a lamb. Uh, we had a little bit of everything and uh, I hope that you enjoy and if you uh, enjoy, if you do enjoy this, please um, support the podcast through Patreon uh, slash Choose to Farm, or by subscribing, telling a friend, or even writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Because now we should be up on Apple Podcasts and able to write reviews. So I hope that you enjoy. I'm Cheryl Cesario. Mark Cesario. Uh, we're Meeting Place Pastures uh, here in Cornwall, Vermont. We're a custom grazing enterprise for cattle, and then we also um, own a flock of sheep. Yeah, a hair sheep enterprise. How do you market? You get how do you market your sheep? Uh, at this point, mostly uh, it's based just around ethnic holidays. Yep. Um, so you know, we we, we though we lamb in, in May June, so generally it's ethnic holidays towards you know in the fall and early early winter. Uh, but we're marketing mostly light lambs, um, not 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 meat. Um, and we sell them through an auction. Yep. And then on the custom grazing, we graze both beef stalkers, and we do some beef finishing, 
um, although we're kind of moving away from that. And then um, we also graze dairy heifers. How long have you guys have been officially farming together? Since 2009 is when we came to Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. Is that how you define the beginning? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, we both were doing other things in agriculture before, well before that. Yep. But that's when we purchased property here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cheryl had a market garden at the Intervale in the early 2000s. And did a lot of relief milking. And uh, I started on a vegetable farm and kind of had my own side turkeys shoot of, of turkeys and chickens and pigs while I was working there prior to this as well. Um, but 2009 was the, the start of, of Meeting Place Pastures. So where did the name come from? Well, so at that time, when I, at that vegetable farm, when I had the livestock sort of meat offshoot, uh, that was in Massachusetts, and, and I was living there, and uh, Cheryl And I lived was, like two hours north of here, and so we bought this land, and then we would meet there to, um, you know, plan like what we were going to do, so that was... It was the meeting place. Meeting place, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. At, at first, I think I was kind of beholden to want to have the name farm in there, but I'm, I'm glad it, it, it we didn't. And that was Cheryl's idea not to, and to come up with the pastures part of it. But uh, it's interesting about how it kind of just those names about how you know you, you can kind of get stuck or how you define yourself or or. Well, and I think when we started, we were some of the beef cattle he was managing down there he brought up here a couple pigs as well we grew out the the pig herd flock <laughs> whatever really large um that was probably the, the greatest number of animals we had was on the pig side at the time we were doing broiler chickens um there was even a period maybe a couple years after that where we also had um veal calves that we were raising from you know buying them up from dairy farms raising those so then we were going to the, we were doing all farmers markets and we were selling beef veal pork meat birds we were also doing some layer hens eggs you know there's five different enterprises really and we were if, if not more we got to the retail side right schlepping meat all over creation we were we have friends that have CSAs, you know, out of state, and we were piggybacking on those um, vegetable farms and selling our product through those channels, and it was just a lot of driving around, and um, eventually we kind of started to switch modes and drop enterprises. And yeah. We were over over diversified. And was there was there like a moment where you re where you realized that that was true or was that just sort of a gradual yeah well um for me it was um having a child <laughs> and and i remember you know i was for the veal i would i had milking cows and i would milk them into a pail and then i would feed each calf because i really wanted to like regulate how much milk each one was getting and then when i was like eight months pregnant you know i couldn't <laughs> lift the pail anymore so that sort of started that process of like, oh, well, the calves are just going to nurse on the cows and I don't have to do that part. Um, and then also that first year when she was born, we were still doing all that. And so like five times that summer, I put a newborn, you know, a, an infant in the infant car seat in the pickup truck with freezers in the back, 
drove them down to our friend's farm in New Jersey to sell meat to come home with, you know, a lot of cash. But I did that five times with a baby where I'd have to like stop and like rest stops and like nurse her. And it was just ridiculous. And she's like, what are we doing? Like, and it was yeah. like, do you want your, how do you want your kid to grow up is what I started thinking about on those rides is like, do you want your kid to grow up on a farm, which is what you think you want? Or do you want to grow up with your kid in a meat mobile? Which, like, if Meatmobile is, like, the thing you want in life, that's awesome. But I don't think that was really what we were going for. It was just a lot of time away. And then he was doing a lot of deliveries. And then he would be gone. And, you know, inevitably, like, stressful for me. Because if something gets out, which it would at those early days, you know, now you're not only you trying to get it back in, you're, like, got a baby in the carrier trying to get animals back in. It was just like, what are we doing? We should be here. You know, we did Farmer's Market in Burlington. Um, you know, which is an hour plus away and we'd have to be there at 8 a.m. Which meant we had to be up. All chores had to be done. The truck had to be loaded. We had to be driving away before seven o'clock. We get home at like four and always the feeling when you drive in the driveway of thinking this is the time to rest. It was like what went horribly wrong while we were gone. So that was why I think we started thinking about yeah. what enterprises we could start dropping broiler chickens i think was the first one to go well well turkeys went a lot, oh, yeah, lot, lot turkeys. before that yeah uh, you know i mean so right was, when i first started working on that vegetable farm in 2000 you know this was this was before omnivore's dilemma this was before you know when was that 2007 when that book came out maybe so Six, 2006 somewhere or somewhere in that so right so um the the local food movement wasn't what it what was it today you know even the kind of that you know that somewhat of that rock star status that I think exists um, about you know farmers or farmers at farmers markets you know that that, that was that was before that um, it, it was it was also you know before somebody from the suburbs like myself and Cheryl uh, you know, nowadays, I mean, if someone wanted to take a summer off and go work at a vegetable farm, it wouldn't be that strange by the peer group, you know, the, 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 for somebody, anybody to do that. You know, and at that that time, it's still, you know, that was that was that was an oddity. Um, but so I went to go work at that farm, Brookfield Farm in Amherst, and uh, after my third semester at, at UMass, I left to go work there, and uh, they had a farm library and. Uh, and there just what there wasn't that many books uh, on this, uh, and but what was on the shelf? There was two books. There was Andre Vazan's Grass Productivity, which I read, and then the other book was uh, Jill Salatin's um, Salad Bar Beef. And so, I think at that time, or at least just for myself, I guess I can't speak for anybody else, but you know, I felt that Joel Salatin sort of resonated with a lot of first-generation farmers, and that idea about diversification of enterprises and markets was a big selling point you know oh you know like if something's not selling then you know something else will be selling you know to keep cash flow going or uh you know just the diversity of the the supposed synergy that's supposed to happen amongst you know enterprises um and i i i think you know, there there was a maybe maybe Joel presented it wrong, or maybe I understood it wrong um, about what diversity, you know, or how, how diversity 
could play out. Um, but we found that you're never going to be Joel Salatin. Well, well, I think in A, what what was missing was that Joel, you know, had specific resources that we didn't have as a first generation farmer. So when you do that SWOT analysis, you look at your strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. Like his is inevitably different than ours, and it's inevitably different than everybody's. And so you can't just pluck that out and think that's going to work for us in our situation. But I was trying to do that, and I was trying to shove it down, you know, sort of our, our business's throats. And um, I, but I think the other thing too to realize that at the time that Joel at the t was doing everything at scale, and that he had a manager for each one of those individual enterprises. Where, you know, but but. You know, I think we, you know, maybe, maybe it's just myself, but I think a realization that I came to was that I'm not as good as I think I am, you know, and I can't do all those things, you know, or, well, I think or if the reality is right. It's, you know, to, to do multiple enterprises, you can do like one or two really well. And that when you start splitting it up more than that, you're just splitting yourself in more ways. And then it's like, well, no, I'm not like really acing any of these. Like I'm getting by and I'm doing it. But really, if you know, I think we started to have that sort of light bulb moment of like, wait, what are the things that we're really good at? And the chicken thing, like I said, they didn't show themselves to be super profitable. So we dropped that and that was an easy one. The pigs were the next thing. And that was another interesting one because it's like, we were, I mean, we had a lot of pigs and we were bringing in like three tons of grain like every week and the truck would back up and it's like, we can't, we can't grow this stuff. I mean, we're not gonna, we don't have the machinery and it's just like, but we have a lot of grass. And, you know, I think it was um, when we were working with Willie Gibson through Farm Viability, he was here one day and there was some land opportunities. Some, some people in town were presenting us with some potential rental of land and it was like, well, what are we going to do with that? And it's like, yeah, we need more animals that eat grass and less animals that eat grain in what, with what our land, land base is. And so then we started kind of, you know, letting those pigs go and increasing the cow numbers. And, but, you know, that was also the limited resources is, okay, well, we didn't really have the money to say, well, let's just go buy like 50 animals. You know, I think at the time we started with 12 and, you know, they did multiply slowly, but the way to move ahead was um, on the custom grazing side, you know, because we don't, we had the grazing skill. We felt like that's something that we were doing really well. And so it's like, okay, how do we do that? And in that case. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I mean, everything that was Cheryl was talking about there, you know, when as a first generation farmer and when you're first getting into it and, and the reasons that we, we, we wanted to get into it and it, it also wasn't like you know we didn't go to you know we don't have a a business management degree you know or like bookkeeping wasn't you know what we what we wanted to do and so but you know and early on though you're, you're also too just so consumed by cash flow you know just like bringing money in and, and being able to sort of just keep yourself running and so you're not at least again I just just for for us you know those skills weren't we you know weren't weren't developed yet and so we weren't really playing this we weren't really understanding the balance sheet and, and asset management and 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 all those things that you, you know when we start when you start looking at the SWOT analysis and understand those things are as assets and liabilities you know and so you know when you have you know a sort of a limited amount of resources and and you think that oh the diversity is going to help us out right for all those reasons that Joel Salatin says but it, but in essence you're just um, 
you, you know, you're you're watering down each individual enterprise and each individual a- asset because you're not put it, you're not fully in on on each one of those, you know. So, um, it, you know, so it's interesting just starting to, you know, as you start gaining those skills and you start looking at those things, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think I mean that time with with Willie Gibson, you know, that that really started changing about how, how we looked at it. But also in terms of like when I was in Massachusetts and had that sort of the the retail meat gig as a side you know my resources and my SWOT analysis was different there than it was up here you know so I mean that was a 550 member plus CSA you know five or 450 of them came to that farm you know every week um it, it was in a, a much larger population center. I had less access to land and to we grass. We didn't have as many animals, though, either. And, and, I, and I didn't have any more animals. And so, you know, early on, too, it was particularly, you know, I mean, I didn't really, didn't know if I really thought about it like this at the time, but, you know, one reason why we were doing more chickens and pigs was because turnover was, was quicker, you know. And so, um, and then, you know, also, because we didn't have as much land, when you you know, bought a bag of grain or, or the, the truck came with the three tons of grain, uh, you know, in essence, we were buying our land in, in a bag of grain, you know, or in that truck, you know, from the Midwest or wherever, you know, so, um, and so, but, you know, that went, that, I guess the, maybe the curse of it going sort of okay was that went okay enough, <laughs> you know, and that we kind of were like, we, we, we talked, we fooled ourselves to thinking that that was, not we. Okay, <laughs> or or that that is definitely true. I wasn't or, there yet. Or or I fooled myself into you know in into you know thinking that that you have to just keep keep going with this and that was going to get better and better and better. So that's actually my my my. Well, I have lots of questions. But yeah. That's that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, do you feel like the the transition from what you had in Massachusetts to what you developed up here was that. Was that as much about adapting to changing markets, or is that was that more was it was it more that that the markets here are different? Yeah. Or was that more you were really realizing what you wanted to do? I, I personally that? feel like it has something to do with scale too, because you know when we when we were doing Burlington Farmers Market, like I mean the amount of people that come through that market versus say our local farmers market here, which is really teeny weeny. Um, you know, we'd make in a Saturday in Burlington, but it would take us a month to make in Middlebury. Mm-hmm. But I think what it is, is if we were content to stay with 20 cows and maybe 100 pigs and do your broiler chickens, and that's where we wanted to stay, like, I, I think that could work. I think for us, it's like we started to bump up against, we're expanding our business, and, you know, unless we hire someone to do full-time selling and marketing we're bumping up against like our ability to do that. And, and to me, it just, it it was, it was also a a big piece of it to me is a scale thing. And, and like I said, you know, land opportunities started to arise. And so, you know, being able to capitalize on that, well, even if we had the means to go out and buy all these beef cows, oh great. We just, now we have like four or 500 beef cows. It's like, well, where are we going to sell all those, you know, at the right price point? And anyway, so I think the scale was part of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, pigs and chickens were never part of Cheryl's dream, and, and they weren't necessarily part of my dream. I just thought that that was, you know, that was meeting the, the market and meeting our resources mm-hmm. base at the time. Um, and so, yeah, when we came up here, and I, I still, you know, was trying to sort of shove that business model down the throat of up here, you know, and mm-hmm. and I think we just started realizing, you know, the constraints of, 
of the market and the resources that we had up here. But then also, yeah, it wasn't meeting our our long-term vision and, and our, our goal. And I, I realize we're talking about now and the future, but, but also part of part of the goal here is to, in our conversation, is to is to better understand what what actually like prompted you to want to farm at all because neither of you grew up in farming situations um you know was there was there a, a person was there a visit was there a place or a moment like what specific memories would you have that you still carry forward that that are like oh that's that thing i couldn't let go that led me on this path i mean i can go first and just mine's probably shorter but i feel like when <laughs> i when i was in <laughs> Maybe. when i was in high school i remember my mom and i used to always go to this farm where it was like pick your own everything it was like down in like southern new jersey and um i remember one day it was hot it was july we went and picked blueberries and we were walking back on this like dusty path and i turned to my mom and I, maybe i was younger than high school i might have been in that case like 12 years old and i said I'm going to work here someday. And she was like, um, no. <laughs> and I remember in like my kind of like defiant, like tweenness being like, what? Like, what do you mean? I can't, what do you mean? Like, why would you say no to that? Like I was so mad. And then in high school, I went to a blueberry farm to get a job and he kind of laughed at me and was like, yeah, you're like a white girl. I don't, that's not who I hire, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. And then, um, when I got a relief milking job, um, I remember I was driving by this farm, it was in Vermont, and he had a sign out on the road that said relief milker wanted, and I drove by it and I was like, I can do that. And I turned back around and pulled in, and anyway, he did end up hiring me. As well, he said like, later. Did you know anything about cows? Well, I had done a little or... bit, because there was a farm I used to get milk at that I would, um, that I would milk sometimes for. No. I'll come back later. I'm going to get the bus. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Farm uh, interviews on real farm. Okay, <laughs> real kids who need to get picked yeah, up at the bus. At the bus. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So what's, yeah. Moments. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. So, I mean, Cheryl probably had more ties, right? I mean, she, you know, her grandmother lived in Rutland. I mean, she has, oh, uh, okay. um, I'm forgetting the exact tie, but she is, related to the Thomases that of Thomas Derry that recently, you know, so she just relates like Brad Thomas. And, I never knew that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, but for me that that's not, not the, I think there's, there's a story of maybe like a, a drunk Quaker, you know, um, sort of relative that maybe existed. Um, but, but anyways, uh, but my, my, uh, father's brother lived out in Colorado and, almost every other summer or so we would go out and visit him and uh um we would have uh oh what's what, what what's that family with chevy chase the uh in the, the national lampoon what's their family's <laughs> last name <laughs> you, why am i blanking griswolds. <laughs> the Gri Gris the griswolds so we, we would yeah. joke that we would have these griswold family vacations that like like just like we would get in this car and we would just <laughs> and we would drive for hundreds and hundreds of miles and just mm -hmm. visiting visiting the west um or really anywhere um you know it, and and so that like out west going to national parks uh, and my, my dad liked history so going to sort of particular his, historic areas and then even and then alternating summers we would kind of travel the east going to national parks and stuff like that but um, but I think, you know, just trying to look back at it, and I think that just having that, 
that exposure to natural natural places, natural spaces, you yeah. know, kind of really sort of resonated with me. And so, and I and I think that maybe the the really where it started clicking was I just remember reading uh, Walden uh, his sophomore year in high school, and all of a sudden being like, you, you know what, I I'm you know, I know how to play baseball. Like I know how to like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but that's kind of about it. You know, like my, my skill set is kind of limited. And, and I, so I think initially it was, it was my, my pull towards it was, um, a little bit more from the back to the land self-sufficiency side of things, um, in high school. And so, uh, that, 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 I think that, that was kind of sort of, kind of came through and then and then just happened to be when you know when I was at UMass after my third semester and um on a on a field trip to uh actually it was it was a, a friend a friend of mine was taking a vegetable production course and he he had gotten a job at the at the food bank farm and he was uh and he went to a a, a field trip to Brookfield farm and they had like three apprentices kind of like implode like at the beginning of the year. And so he came back and said, Hey, you know, they're looking for an apprentice. And so then I just happened to, to apply, apply for that job. And, um, and I, and I got it. And, but I just remember like kind of the first day on the farm, I was like, Oh, this is like kind of what I want to do for the rest of my life. And and then I, that was the farm I was there until I moved up here, here, uh, in 2009. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the backstory. So, and I'm curious, uh, so for both of you, like what, so Cheryl, plant soil science major, this I know about oh, yes, you, yes. and, and Mark, we're in a vegetable farm and animal science. So, yeah. so, so what made you go down the livestock path? Well, so I, sorry, the veg I, path. I'm I, super curious about well, that. Well, and too. I had to get the bus and so oh, I left sorry. out like a good chunk of information, but, um, you know, I did a lot of like worked on an orchard. I worked in a greenhouse. I, you know, my friend and I had a market garden. And so everything I had done like in agriculture was like very plant, plant centric, um, whether it was like food or ornamentals or whatever. And, and then I was working for, um, agricultural organization, Northeast Organic Farming Association of Vermont. And just basically started in that job you know we were doing the organic certification paperwork for farms and um you know just began working with a lot of dairy and livestock producers and as a result the more that that sector was growing in the organic world at that time that was like 2004 5 6 um you know especially organic dairy was growing at that point in time and so you know as a staff we needed to like really just up our professional development in that area and we were visiting a lot of dairy farms and like getting to know the clients and and I was just like oh I was really like enamored with that like going to these dairy farms and I was like these beautiful cows and you know I just really liked that and I liked the producers a lot and so that kind of led to this driving down the street one day and I had done a little bit of milking prior to that but driving down the street and there was the sign on the side of the road like I mentioned and I was like I'm gonna do that and so I worked there for like two years. Wow. And then when I came and moved here, I still did relief milking, probably on like five or six different operations. And just really, I, I know something about the milking of cows that I really enjoy, which even though I'm not doing that, I think grazing dairy heifers, that still fills that um, space for me. Like seeing like the black and white cows out on the landscape, I really enjoy that. Just I think it's just the most beautiful thing. 
How do you feel when you see them? I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> Out there, I just like love it. I'm like, ah, oh, that just, look at that. That just looks amazing. It's just beautiful. <laughs> Whereas like Mark's like, nah, too much leg. Like, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what that is. So, right? I mean, they're just very different structurally than they a beef animal. Yeah. They yeah. super, super are. And I, yeah, I actually do the same thing with my sheep between the different <laughs> genetics. I'm just like, too much leg on that one. Oh, that one's nice and short. And of course, it's too short to actually breed anybody's ewes because it's so short. But I like those. <laughs> little, little chunk balls. Yeah. That's just me. But, but yeah, it is a yeah. very different thing. I mean, you know, it's because um, I do feel like, and like plants, right? You, you can tell when plants maybe are not healthy or, or sick or dying. And if the plant dies, you're kind of like, nah, you know, I've got more of those. Um, I just still feel like with animals, right, it's a little different thing of this is like a sentient being. And, you know, sometimes there's something going on with the animal that you might not be able to tell right away. But it does give you little clues. And it's just a very interesting, you know, it's just such a complex thing of understanding like the whole ecosystem and like the management of it and keeping everybody not just healthy but like thriving and growing is um a good challenge i was gonna say is that the is it the complexity that is attractive it's a good question <laughs> yeah i mean for for me like it's very like... pastoral <laughs> you know it's definitely. definitely is that and also i mean the reality is like where we are here if we dug a hole, you know, this soil you could make a clay pot out of. I mean, it's like heavy clay. You could really make some beautiful pottery. And so it would, it would be challenging to like plow this up and grow crops or vegetables, say, or flowers. Um, and so the land base is just really well suited for perennial grasses and whether that's gonna be hay or cows. Personally enjoy cows more than tractors, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you make a good point there about that last one. I, um, like, I have I don't have a lot of interest in machinery or equipment, and and I, you know, I, I don't really enjoy uh, getting greasy, you know. <laughs> so whereas that, you know, you know, cow poop or whatever. As or I like, say, yeah. I don't, so what's the difference for you between those? Yeah, um, you know, I get for me, it's like the difference between wearing a, uh, you know, a polyester shirt and, you know, a nice, you know, a uh, or a wool sweater or a linen shirt, you know, it, it, it's so, um, I, I think there absolutely, absolutely is a difference. Um, and, and I think, so I think with vegetable farming, it was, it's much more equipment, um, you know, and well, I mean, it's much more equipment, uh, sort of focused, you know, and, 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 um, but I, I just I started gravitating towards towards livestock and particularly cattle and, and grass, um, you know. And I don't know if it was because I read Andre Voisin's book or initially or or Joel Salatin's Salad Bar Beef, or if it goes back to sort of um, those you know trips out west, you know. Uh, I mean, that 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 romantic you know image of the of the cowboy, you know, or whatever that 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 was in you know that was there. So um, though it is funny, I mean, you know, we've added sheep. Uh, you know, sort of later, you know, I mean, this is what, our fifth or sixth year with, with sheep, but, um, seven, seven, or is that one? 
Should we sidetrack on the sheep for well, a minute? Let's talk about whatever it is. I think it's just like this. No, because like you know, the point of this um, interview is to like talk about like the adventures of like first generation farming. Let me like my, la- like, my okay, last just, point about sheep, and then I can tell about you know unilateral decisions, which is unilateral I think decision making. But but, uh, but 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 you know, it, it, like when I when I look at. When I look at sheep and when I interact with sheep, you know, I mean, this, this is the sort of intangible. I mean, I, 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 to me, there, there must have been a shepherd more recent in my sort of, you know, genetic lineage, you know, than that. Like I, I gravitate somewhat on like a, you know, molecular level to dealing with sheep. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but Cheryl can tell you a story about. <laughs> so well like i said you know we began custom grazing and i think at some point it'd be good to just we can mention how that first started but yeah, that'd be great. but we did you know we were we started doing that like we had said we shed these other enterprises and then mark started talking about what if we had some sheep and i was just like hell no no way. And he was like, what if we had like four? Normandy was a baby. What if we had like four? Wouldn't it be awesome? She, oh, our kid would love it. I was like, no, I don't want sheep. Because everything I'd always heard from people was like, you know, oh, we got a baby every sheep, lambing them up all night. Oh, oh. it's like, you sheep never sleep. Yeah, well, our vet then, our, our large animal vet, he basically said to me, sheep are just looking for a reason to die. And I was like, there is reason enough not to get them. So anyway, um, Apparently we got some sheep and I didn't know about it because I was distracted with a baby. And so <laughs> we were in town one night. It was like one of those like holiday strolls in town where the stores stay open late and we ran into these people. We, we, we have a better decision making process. We must do. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about the early days. So we're in town with these, we run into these folks who next town over have some sheep. And we started talking and Mark says, this would be a great time to tell Cheryl that we too have sheep. Anyway, that's how we got sheep. I didn't even know about it. And then I was just mad because I was like, I don't want these things. And then... Um, I'm were, guessing you weren't just mad because you didn't want them. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> to do exactly. exactly. And so, you know, we've worked really hard to work on our inter-farm communication skills, which is really important. Um, but I remember one time, like the next spring, maybe he was away or something, and I went out to move the sheep and I was like, looks like there's more. Well, yes, there were, because he went out and got more. And again, it didn't say anything about it. Um, and so I will say it took several years for me. And I, and I think what, what kind of turned the tide was um, we had sold a bunch of lambs at an auction now a couple years ago, and we got the check, and I was like, I love the sheep. <laughs> like, they did really well. And, I mean, they sold, like, top dollar, and it was like we didn't have to – you know, again, not doing direct marketing anymore. We weren't having to like truck them to the slaughterhouse and set the dates and get the meat cut and do the cut sheets and store everything in our freezers and then box it up for people and schlep it to markets. We just put them on a truck and waved by and got a check. And it was like, oh, right. Like this is the way it's supposed to work, right? This is, we did the work and now we're like reaping the benefit of that hard work. Um, and then I really, they, I started to enjoy them more at that point. Um, and then also, I think, you know, through through our ranching for profit and having our new way to analyze numbers and look at numbers, I mean, we started realizing how to compare it, you know, yeah. a, a, across enterprises and classes, and, and, and that's that's kind of solidified it, but yeah. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, even to this day, I still have conversations with folks who maybe are like younger generation farmers or first generation farmers, and I, I hear a lot of... Um, 
you know, this sort of narrative about like, well, it's not all about the profit. It's not all about making money. And I'm like, mm, it kind of is, right? Because if you're not making a profit, you can't do, like we talk about all these great benefits of like, oh, water infiltration and we prevent runoff and we're building carbon and we're doing all this. But you can't do any of that if like you can't stay afloat. So I think it's important just you know, to remember, like, just because you want to make a profit and be profitable is not, doesn't put you in the category of, like, corporate greed. Like, it's okay. And, like, if you run a farm and you run it as a business, you are engaging in capitalism, and that's okay. And you should be okay with that. And I think there's still this real aversion to that out there, or at least a narrative I hear around here. And it's like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, you should want to make money. So... So on that vein, and I, and I really don't want to pit like new generation farmers against older generation farmers, but what do you, what do you think some of those sort of stories that, that new and older generation farmers are each telling themselves? Like, what do you, what do you hear? Because I, I also feel like I've heard plenty of, you know, multi-generational farmers say, well, we, we need to keep the farm going Mm -hmm. whether Mm -hmm. or not it's profitable. And, Mm. and I don't know, I kind of struggle with that too. Like I'm not here. I feel like, I guess I'm not hearing enough, um, uh, conversation around profit in, in any farms. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) or ranches as, as, you know, as, as I interface more with with Western Uh, folks, like, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you feel like do you feel do you feel well, you know, like it's, it's different between like those I don't. That and issue people come at that differently because of Well, well I can I mean just really quick I'll yeah. just say like right I, I, on the, my full-time job is working for UVM Extension, right? And I'm out there in the ag community and I find it's really interesting of, you know, even people who have multi-generation on the farm that say things like you know, if you say well, you know, do you ever do some like strategic planning? Do you ever do some vision of the future? And some people kind of look at you like you're speaking another language, right? Or like, well, I just want to, you know, milk my cows and go about my business. And it's like, you know what? You could do that 40 years ago. You can't do that now. And in some ways, I mean, again, from what I see, I see it being a very sort of scale thing. Because when, when you visit large dairies, they run it like a business, right? And they have those structures and they have those communication plans and they it's very clear whose role is what. It's also very clear what an ex- expenses are to actually like produce something. They know those costs. And it tends to be, I find when I'm working with like smaller producers, they're not always aware of that because, and there's a lot of like, well, this is a lifestyle. It's not just about the money. And it's like, yeah, but wouldn't the money be nice too? You know, or like, a lot of our work is like getting talking to farmers about like implementing practices, right? And and I've definitely heard from people like, well, you know, this is the way we always did it. And it's like, yeah, but what in what other industry can you get away with that? What if Apple Computers was like, we're gonna just make Macintoshes? It's like it doesn't you wouldn't be in business, right? Like Kodak, they're like struggling because people don't use film anymore, and they're trying to adapt and fig- like you have to adapt or you'll you know it's like adapt or die, right? And so. I don't know. From my perspective, I, I do see, you know, at a certain scale, I think just maybe it's just by, you know, you have to, but I just see people running their farms like businesses at a certain scale and smaller, maybe just because they don't have the labor. It's like you're just in this vortex and it's really hard to step outside of that vortex to like get the 40,000 foot view. 
Well, you know, that, I mean, that question is also complex just because, I mean, as, as you know, as we're, you know, with everybody defines prof, profit a little bit differently, you know, so in, in, you know, how ranching for profit defines profit that, you know, with opportunity costs and interest paid against livestock and, um, and unpaid labor and, you know, uh, cash rent for the land, even if you own it, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. And so, uh, you know, so I do think though, amongst even maybe larger farms of multiple generations, um, you know, they can, they can operate on past built up equity, you yeah. know, and, and, and so, you know, and right, what, 90, 90, 95% of, of ranches don't, don't turn a profit, um, by that measure and, and probably even, even a less stringent measure. I mean, particularly with cattle, I mean, I think, right, that, that romanticism that I talked about earlier about that kind of brought me into it, you know, I mean, I mean, that, that, that romanticism about being a cowboy is, is incredibly strong. And so, uh, you know, and, and a lot of these exist by, you know, past built up equity or being subsidized in some way. Maybe it's not direct cash. Maybe it is, or maybe it's, you know, because the grandfather owned the land and they're not actually paying rent on, on that land at that point, you know? So, um, but at the same time, right, that, that romanticism and that, and that, that story that we tell ourselves about this. I mean, this is this is a this is a hard business to be in, right? This this is this is hard for many reasons, and it's hard, uh, you know, particularly socially as well. And sometimes, you know, we need to be re-inspired, and we need to have that that story and that romanticism to like keep us going on a daily basis, right? You know, but but we can't let it define our decisions and, and, and make poor economic decisions. Um, and so, but there's a, but there's a struggle, but I do think that there's a lot of first generation farmers that, that are too brought into this by romanticism. Um, but if you're going to last beyond those first, you know, first year, first two years, first three or four, five years, um, and because it will de- depending on what your resource base is, but if you, if you can't re- rely on past equity, then <laughs> then you're going to have to start, you know, you're, like you said, like you know, no profit, no no mission, you know. So well, and I think it, that's it goes to the point of really um, s- start reading like business self help books because you know those are the things that I mean, think of like how many sustainable agriculture. Um, programs out there at universities like don't even touch on business or economics and and the understanding of like well you know I hear a lot of times like well debt you know debt's bad I don't want to go into debt and it's like well unless and hey if you're independently wealthy and you don't have to go into debt like more power to you but if you do have to go into debt it's not necessarily a bad thing right and so to have that understanding of like what's good debt what's bad debt I mean we've made enough mistakes we know what bad debt is we're still paying some of it but like now I feel like we have an understanding going forward like is this debt going to make us money right is it going to give us the opportunity to like leverage money to make more money that's good debt but to like take on debt to pay for something that you know happened or doesn't exist anymore bad debt (laughs) Or right. particular, or particularly the things, you know, or or just you know a fixed asset that yeah. that we might, you know, talk ourselves into that that we need that maybe it saves money but it's not actually making money. Right, because right. those debt, that and, bad yeah. debt hinders you, you know, like opportunities then come up and you can't capitalize on them. But if you take debt for the right things, boy, you can like really grow your business in a way you wouldn't be able to if you didn't kind of take that money. And so it's just having an understanding of. You know the difference between the two. I think is really important. Totally. Though maybe we're straying though. I mean though at the same though, you know that though to go back on that idea of romanticism and and 
and cattle and, and right where it romanticism drives the cattle market and when one reason too why i think we came around to the sheep the, the sheep there's not that like with, with dairy farms in this area i mean it's true there's a lot of people that are running on stored equity so that you know they're 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 subsidizing their businesses that way um but there's there's not that many you know there's not many commercial sheep operators that are are willing to subsidize their operation. There's not many vegetable farmers that you know at a certain scale that are that are willing to subsidize their operation. There's plenty of people that are willing to subsidize their cattle ranches at very large scale, and so the the cattle market is totally skewed because of that. Whereas the sheep, you know, the sheep market, and which is why I think the commodity world still works for sheep right now is because it's not run by romanticism it's actually run by practicality and laws of supply and demand and all that stuff now you know there are other things that come into play every once in a while like covid or whatever but um so you know to, so right th i mean these things <laughs> the, the, these these sort of non you know these non-economic principles play with agricultural businesses in in many in many ways mm. Um, and, and, you know, I was naive early on, you know, and, 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 and hope and, you know, too much optimism probably kept me going, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, making, but, uh, you know, I made too many emotional decisions early on, you know, and so, you know, we've learned in our older age. You learned you're not special. I learned that I'm not special, you know, and <laughs> those was yes, one are. thing. You Jeez. all are. Really <laughs> all are it's like everyone thinks, like, they can tell you all day long, here's what the market is, but you think, I'm, it's going to be different for us, right? And that, so that's, that, that, I think it's yeah. important to learn early on that, like, yep, like, you might be doing really awesome stuff, but, like, there are market forces that you will have to operate within, right? Like, that's... Kind of. I think that's a big story for, for first-generation farmers, right? You you read something, and you've got an alternative idea about how to do something. And, and, and you're like, well, I'm going to do this alternative thing, and this market is just going to flood to me because of that, you know? Or or everybody else around me is not able to make it, 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 make it but, like, I'm, I'm going to be able to do it because, you know, I, and you forget about the production of it, but you just think that the marketing is going to overcome your production flaws. And, and, and I think in particularly in a state that um that scale you know is is challenging at you know i, I think too many people are often are are telling themselves that they can overcome production challenges and overcome uh you know right as as dave pratt uses that my cut my cousin Vinny um about like when they burn something on the stove and he's like you think that the laws of physics do not apply to this you know that your situation right and now your stovetop and and no they they do in, in the market you know the market factors you know no matter what market you're really selling into they're still going to matter right you know like what's happening in, in you know in australia and new zealand or ireland with sheep sales are going to you know factor into even if you're selling you know a lamb chop direct to a customer at a farmer's market you know and when when that price gap gets too big between you know there and the grocery store like that that's challenging or or for for or so many so many other factors but um but yeah, that that's a big story that that uh, <laughs> that first generation farmers tell me, and I told myself all the time, you know, uh, and and um, um, just just because you want to do it doesn't mean you're going to. <laughs> so the flip side. So following that, the flip the sort of the flip side of the romanticism and the and the optimism. Um, there may not be one, but <laughs> one example, but. Um, can you think about one of your worst days mm. doing this? There's a bunch. Mm. Um. 
Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and what do you never want to go through again? Like, yeah. what, have you, what well, have you gone through that you never, ever want to We might through? have different answers. I mean, I would say some hard lessons, again, on, like, the business management side would be for me. Like, my, and if, if this is any, like, you know, we're supposed to put out any nuggets of advice or anything like that. But to me, it's like I've learned the hard way that every single thing, you should have it in writing. And that... You know, a lot of times with agreements, you know, you think, oh, I don't know if we should have a lawyer. That maybe seems like overkill. It's, no. It, it, so many times, like, there's just things you get burned on because you think you have an agreement with somebody and it's not. Or, like, it's all about, like, for us, leasing a lot of land, number one. Having a lot of neighbors around that leased land is number two. And number three, having a lot of cattle. Like, last year we ran 680 head. We didn't have that many this year, but point being multiple clients it's all about like meeting people's expectations right and so like those landowners have expectations those neighbors have expectations the cattle owners have expectations we have expectations and it's like how do you hash all that stuff out ahead of time so there's like not a lot of surprises i'd say on the cattle side with the cattle owners we haven't had issues the landowner stuff has been really challenging and um you know even having like a written lease you know, we've learned things the hard way, like a year to year lease, terrible idea. We've sunk money into people's property that then they turned around. You know, you hear these narratives like, oh, you're going to do all this amazing stuff on somebody's land. They're going to love it. They're going to appreciate it. It's going to be amazing. Going to have this great relationship. They'll, they'll probably just like let you use the land for free. Never happens to us ever. Um, I think instead the thanks is great. My property looks so amazing. I'm going to raise the rent. Or, oh, this is exactly the way I wanted it. I think it's going to stay like this. Like, you know, not understanding what goes into making it look so good. Right. Now I'm just going to let it be. You know, or just the, the shuffling. Or they, or they can do it themselves with, you know. We can take it from here. <laughs> okay. And so that's really been um, a real learning lesson of just, you know, trying to have those things like all documented. You know, we took some land over 100 acres from corn silage to poor, I should preface, poorly managed corn silage to perennial pasture land. And, um, you know, it. I don't think there was any understanding by the landowner. He tried to come. Say, what was the transition he came back, of that and how many years? It and, took a couple years and yeah. we had it for four years total. And then he tried to, when we, when we wouldn't pay more rent because it was year to year lease, um, he tried to come back and say that we left his land worse than the way we found it. And it's like, wow, I didn't think to take pictures of it, but I have all the aerial photography from USDA, so at least we have that. But it's just like, even this year, we sold some hay standing. It was a dairy farmer. I figured dairy farmer wants top quality feed. I didn't think I had to say when you buy first cut, you have to get it before, say, mid-June or end of June, even being very generous. He cut it in September. So he got first, second, and third cut for the price of first cut. Now, granted, it was crap hay, but it's kind of like, oh, we can't now sell second and third cut. On land we're renting, that was just, it's new land and it's not fenced yet. So it's, you know, we're limited right now what we can do with it. But again, it's just like these lessons, like we're learning them every year. Thankfully, there's less and less that keep coming up now. But like, gosh, we've learned some stuff the hard way. And I think, again, these little things of like, I'm going to sell you first cut. We should put this in writing and we should have a date on when you're going to cut it by. 
just those little things, you yeah. know, and to me that's, that was the Has big. that really, I mean, have you felt like that's really gotten you in, in trouble in some cases? I, I think mean, some of the land, like... some of the land, like some of the land that we've invested lots of um, time, resources, money into that we've lost, mm. um, that's kind of been a disappointment, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, the, this year, um, even still, we had a, a lease that was, you know, a rolling two-year lease, you know. And so, you know, when it was supposed to be, if it wasn't uh, canceled bef- within, 90, within days. 90 days of the lease renewal, then we, you know, we, we had it for for that for that year and, and the next year because it was a rolling two-year lease. Um, mm-hmm. But the owner, you know, I think with a lot, you know, so market changes um, last year, we had a little bit of a drought, COVID, everyone gets animals, hay prices skyrocket. And so that owner decided that, you know, he could make more money selling and making his own hay and selling it. And so he decided to break the lease. Now, we thought that that he wasn't able to, right? We had an actual contract that said he couldn't. But then the question is, well, do you want to work with a disgruntled landowner, you know, for that year? You know, and and how would that actually play out if we want to like take them to court and say no, you actually, you know, you you know, you, you, it de- yeah, all those things are like it depends who it is, and in this case, it really wasn't worth going down that road. Yeah. So some of that, like I said, just the short answer to that question about some of the like difficult days had to do with um, just some of the land, like when you feel like you've sunk so much time and energy into stuff, and then and so and so like that that right that year, we, you know, I mean that in that particular case, we thought we were going to be able to take in three more three hundred three hundred more head of cattle this year, and. and um, you know that was so that few, a few that. a few I was days. Just say, what did that call feel like? Uh, well, it, yeah. Oh, it was it, you know, and then because in our employee was supposed to start two days after that, you know, and so I had to call up our employee and, and kind of talk through what's happening and what our options are and, and what we have to do for this year and, and is is he willing to stay on with the changes and and thankfully he was and we've been able to make it work um, because we've had a you know, but it's it's not it hasn't been comfortable you know so um but But, well i was just gonna say i think the things that like are the unfortunate things that come up now are different than the unfortunate things that would come up in the beginning how how have they evolved i mean i think on in the beginning to me you know because again we did things a lot of times like totally shoestring you know like oh yeah we'll just put up this sort of polywire to hold a bunch of cows in because we don't have the money to fence this field right now you know so i the issues that would come up that were stressful in the beginning all had to do to me were all on the production side like oh shit animals are out again or oh wait our our barn's only half built and a blizzard came and buried all the pigs under like four feet of snow and we think they're all gonna like get hypothermia like those are the sort of yeah, stressful two, two, day, two days of uh, using a hairdryer to, to hair drying the pigs. the pigs and shoveling with a generator because there was no power and the for road, like three days. The road in, they had abandoned the road because of snow drifts, and so we actually had to hike in or use a snow snow, sh- snow, snow or snowmobile one time. And someone, you know, yeah, so that was so uh, like in the beginning, especially yeah. those first three years, it's like, oh, we're not totally set up, but we're like running as if we are, and there was a lot of like haywire events like that, like animals loose. Oh, you're getting a call. Still to this day, like if the phone rings after nine o'clock at night, I'm like, oh God, who is it? You know, like who's calling? What's wrong? Who's out? doesn't really happen anymore. But, but it's like that historical feeling of like something's loose. You know, a neighbor had cows out this spring. We got the call and we're just like, Oh my God! How is it possible? How did this happen? And it turns out they weren't ours. So. So yeah, but, the, so the, the, the 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 benefit of that these days with the cell phone, 
is is being able to change your ringtone because you know i mean when i hear the house phone ring right that still elicits uh, an immediate stress response in me and uh you know with the with the cell phone I now change my cell phone ring, you know, at least once a month because I, so I don't want to build up any of that sort of stress response to the, to the phone, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, now just our, 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 our stressful or uncomfortable things now have to do with just our feeling of, um, like land insecurity because we lease so much land, you know, I think that's like the big driver for our business is we're really focused on like, how do we eliminate that? But again, like, right. We don't just have the ability to be like, we're just going to go write checks and buy all the land we want. So it's like trying to get towards that goal, more land security, more ownership, because the things that come up that are stressful have to do around land that we might think we have, and then it turns out we don't. And how do you run a business that way? It's really challenging. So we could swing back to the worst day, because oh. it sounded like we had different <laughs> examples, or we could continue on this track. Sir. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I'm I mean, these, yeah. these, you know, these days, the, um, you know, this particular year, just the challenges that we're dealing with sort of have sort of an underlying stress constantly. Um, mm. But, and, and I totally agree with Cheryl's um, point, point of, you know, point about the, 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 the day, the earlier days, you know, the disasters are different than now. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we've just um, built up enough calluses, emotional calluses is that, that, that we're, that we react different. But I mean, I think no, there's... those bad things happened early on. Like we don't have any of those disasters. Oh. Anymore. I mean, I remember one particular day where I, where, you know, I thought I lost all our custom, uh, one of our clients, uh, cattle. Um, and, uh, my father came to help and you were there and somebody else was, came to help and we, we couldn't find them. And, and they were gone for a few days and, and, they were uh, just hiding in one corner of the woods that was fenced. But, but we but, didn't see them. But the, but the, that fence, that, but that was a pasture. That was a, we weren't even really renting that pasture, and it was all. It, it, anyways, I, I just, I, I you know, you did sort of have a mental. Uh, yeah, absolutely, right? Because there's also a lot of a lot of other stresses, and then all of a sudden that on top of it, and, and it, it went. It goes back to those days too, where we were still doing too much, and we were just spread thin, and you're we were just doing everything, you know, half-ass, you know. So um, at that time we still didn't have an employee. And so everything sort of fell back on us and, and we were trying to get the custom grazing thing going. And, uh, and, and that year sudden, too, I mean, at, at that point in time, you know, now, even though I do work off farm still, I work locally. My office is like 10 minutes away. I work with farms all in my County. At that time I was driving over an hour to work one way. And so things would happen and I'd be like, well, I'll be there. And then, like, I remember one time he was away and I was at that other job and I got a call that our cows were out. I was like, I'll be there in an hour and 15 minutes, you know? And so that's really, that I mean, was problematic. I mean, right from the now, the most part, I mean, like it going, going away was, was impossible then, you know? And now, right. I just, I went to a wedding for four days last week and next week I had to head to Texas for five days. And I mean, there's zero, relatively zero stress like around those. Yeah, we can leave. I mean, I remember like when we all went um, to see Dave Pratt, he did the one day like ranching for profit workshop and he was talking about the seven day school. And I do remember even in the room, the murmurings of like seven days, like who, oh, this guy's crazy. But I thought he had a great point, you know? And I think it goes back to this idea of like, if you can't leave your place for seven days, you have real problems. Like you don't run a business. I mean, it's like a wake up call. And I appreciated his bluntness, which was like, you don't run a business. Like that's not a business. You should be able to step away and things should run fine. 
and then you come back and everything's great. And and we all did go to that seven day school, right? And that we all was a survived. Game changer for me, and it was beyond my comprehension as a solo. Totally, person. absolutely. It was huge, I think, for all. What was there, like, seven businesses that went to that school? And yeah. that was a game changer for everybody. Everybody. All of us. It was like, oh, you can do this. Right. It's do okay. This. Yeah. And then not only we can do this, is that we... We, we, we want to. We want to. And, yeah. You know. And that, I guess, is another yeah. thing. I think that, like, um, especially when you're, like, the newbies in town, right, of... Now we're not anymore, but in some ways we still are, right? Um of like there is this narrative that if you're not working and maybe it's because we live in a dairy community where dairy farmers right we know they're all like extremely hardworking people but like if you're not working 16 hours a day you are lazy and and but this it's this race of like who can work themselves into the ground faster and and you hear from people like like I was talking to a farmer she's you know younger like you know probably under 40 and she was saying she was on a zoom call for like a committee she's on and she was actually away and she said the first thing she felt this need to do is like apologize like I'm actually on vacation and she was like she's like she started to feel this real like insecurity of like wait I'm a dairy farmer like I'm not supposed to be on vacation and it's like no you are like that's okay and you should be doing that and not feeling bad about it you know this idea that like you can never leave your farm and you should just like work yourself into the ground is ridiculous. You know, it, 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 it's like you had to have quality of life is like a big part of it. Oh, totally. So I recognize that you guys have some time constraints coming up. So I just have two questions left. Um, one of them, of course, it's the title of the podcast. So I have to ask you about choosing to farm. <laughs> so... <laughs> And clearly you have chosen to farm, and I'm just really curious, do you feel like that choice was, do you feel like you made that choice and that is the choice, or do you feel like that's a choice that you have to make every day? Mm. <laughs> I would say, I mean, for me, it's like, yeah, we don't have some family legacy to live up to, right? And and I say I say this probably more than him, where... Like, you know, it's challenging still, even like 12 years in. And this year we had more hurdles thrown at us than we have in a while. And I'm like, you know, we have to remember, like, especially with like all the stuff we've done with like branching for profit, like those concepts translate to other sectors. Like we have skills, like there's a lot of other businesses that we could run and opportunities that could be out there that we have to just remember, like, we're not locked into this and there's lots of other things that we could do. We have lots of talents and other ways we could be using those talents that, you know, not to say other things are necessarily easier, but point being is just like, yeah, there's other things we can do. We don't have some family, like we're not like eighth generation farmers here and like great, great, great grandpa is going to roll in his grave if we decide not to do this. But yeah, yeah that's, you know, I think that's, um, you know, as, as Dallas says now, um, one of the most important part of succession planning is for the generation that is transitioning out um, to understand that they're more than just a farmer or a rancher, you know, that, that we're human beings, we're not just human doings. And, and so, um, you know, and for us to under, understand that as well, uh, I mean, I think having a, a child brings that into, you know, much clearer focus than when we were just, um, you know, newlyweds or you know uh, married without children um 
but the, the the interesting thing too, I mean, I said this, and maybe it's just because this is why I chose this, but the live the, the livestock, you know, they 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 they're here they're here every day. You know, you know, it's easier for us to leave. You know, but um, you know, th I mean, there's been many many days that that we that I wanted to give up. You know, that this was you know, that I wanted to quit, and it was it was just too much. You know, but at the same time, it wasn't that easy to get out and to quit. You know, because those those animals were still out there. I think if it was just now for me. Um, now maybe if it was it was just a row of carrots or, or a few rows of carrots, I might have been able to leave those carrots just alone and die, and you know walk away from it a little bit easier. But um, but yeah, I mean I think it it is um, you know now you know as we go through all the processes of of you know uh, creating you know a mi or revising our mission and our vision statement and and doing that you know actually just this morning we were we were going back over some of those things that we did three years ago to ask ourselves the question of is is this still right do we need to revise this uh, why are we in this business what are our so values what are, are our still values? the same values absolutely um you know and and it's funny you know there was one part where we where we have a clearly defined customer um, value we still don't have a very we're still not strong on our owner value you know for this business and, and um and i think too uh I mean, this gets into a whole. This is not a marriage counseling um, podcast, and we could talk about that for for a long time, you know. I but it I mean, could be. but it, it will That'd absolutely be really I interesting like twist to it. All these topics are on the table. It's all good. But you know, I mean, <laughs> right? Comfortable with. No, don't worry about me. It's 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 right. It's no secret. It's no secret. I think everybody. I mean, right? If if you're a professional in business, you have a coach, and if you want to be a professional in marriage, you should have a coach. And Cheryl and I go to go to marriage counseling every week, and and I think you know Cheryl and I right our our relationship early on. Uh, started and we were we were in this from day one and and so we don't have um sort of that pre-business relationship um that we sort of uh grew up in or had a grew up together in or grew together in and and, and understood each other in 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 a role outside of this you know and and, and now we're I think as we're trying to define that owner value and, and make that decision every day or what we want to do and not only what we want our business to be life, but to understand that we're the creator of our entire life, um, you know, how we are as, as, you know, as spouses, you know, and, and, and we're, we're, cha we're challenged with that right now um, to try to, to answer that question because we, we don't, we, we haven't had that before. So um, I think we're, so yes, um, I think at, at it is a decision that we've been having to make every day, and and, um, and I think when we do make that decision every day, our business is better, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. And there's no, and our, and our marriage is better, and our life is better. Well, and it's like those, you know, those big flip chart sheets when you kind of write down a lot of these things. It kind of does help put things back in perspective of like, oh yeah, what is it we're trying to actually do here? You know, I think that's important. Yeah. So, so it's, it, it just not get out get, of the weeds. Yeah, not not just get stuck, right? The Whitby versus the Whoopie. Not just get stuck in the business and and feel like the business is is driving you. I mean, we've had many days that we felt that way, you know. And it's not until you make the conscious choice on a daily basis, really, to to take hold of the wheel and, and steer it yourself for your whole entire life, that it, it's not gonna it's not gonna change course on its own, you know. So. Um, that's important for our business and for our marriage and as parents and, and as community members and friends. So, um, but you know, we're, we're still learning those skills. So, and that's, that, that's not, that's not, and that's, you know, right. Though that's a practice that we have to make the decision every day to do. So all of those things. So, um, 
Wow, thank you. Yeah. That was great. Um, <laughs> so, and I guess, I guess my final question, and I recognize you might have to go, Mark, so um, maybe it's Cheryl, Cheryl's list. Um, but, <laughs> so, I mean, my final question is, you know, what have you learned that you might share with other folks who think that they might choose farming as a... Or ranching. Well, right. I mean, I think right. There's the, there's there's the the adage that you should be focused on what you want, not what you don't want. Though I do know that Cheryl does have something on her phone about what not to do. So maybe we should at least read that, and then we can after that we can think about well, what you should do. Well, we touched on a lot do, of them. Actually, well, that is true. You yeah. know, um, yeah, we've touched on a lot of these. Like just saying, like it, it's okay to want to have a, make a profit, right? Like this is important. This is. I mean, I would say the overarching of all of this is actually like understand that this is a business right and yeah it's great it's farming it's pastoral it's all these things but at the end of the day it is a business right and that business needs certain things to be able to exist and function um and it's not just lifestyle is a great part of it but at the end of the day it is a business and i think a lot of these things kind of all filter under that and 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 i think just um educating yourself in that vain because that's not like there's so many great books of like oh farming yay i'm gonna read about this operation or that operation and those are all fun and yeah there's so many great like resource books out there but the thing that's really lacking is the like the, the focus on business and i think read books outside of that narrow category that books that you wouldn't think like the, the Simon Sinek starts with why or the Robert Kiyosaki books about financial, his financial advice is just like, that was like earth shattering for me personally or the Jim Collins Good to Great or the E-Myth book. I mean, all of those books, I feel like really just give you a whole different perspective on like running your operation like a business. At least that's kind of my... I mean, no one went, no one ever went out of business because they had the wrong breed of cattle or wrong breed of sheep, you know, or that they right. move, or they move their, they move their herd or flock one day versus four times a day or every th or third day, right? right? You know, or that they put the bull in like, the, you know, maybe a few weeks too late or whatever. Like those, the, no no one ever went, you know, out of business for the, for those decisions, right? It's those bigger picture questions that really are, are the factor that people go in and out of business thank you so much you yeah, guys uh, yeah. this was wonderful and <laughs> thank you so much Absolutely. thank you thank you <laughs> thanks for having us yeah <laughs>
And check out the show notes. We've got some great uh, reference materials that Mark and Cheryl shared with us. And then um, there's some other useful uh, links as well that uh, I hope that you use to further your own farm experience and business and um, success. So thanks so much. Um, Enjoy Chris's original music on the way out. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.